You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. I'm privileged to be able to share with us on the new series, brand new series, believe it or not, it's 16 weeks. Taking a deeper look on the Sermon on the Mount, basically looking at Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And today we are on week 2. But in case you wonder why the series title is called Redefined, these are just some of the logical reasoning. We are revisiting Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount as we look deeper into this teaching that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the law and gave full meaning to them. So in Jesus' teaching as opposed to the Pharisees, Jesus redefined people's understanding of the law. The Pharisees' interpretation of the law is based on oral uh, commentaries, based on human commandments. They are so zealous about the law, but in their seal, they were misled. And instead of looking at the spirit of the law, they look at the letter of the law. As you see, the prevailing mindset then and now is that people are leaning towards religiosity. People believe because that's what most religions do. You offer incense, you do certain things for your religious devotion, and in effect, people feel like they can dodge and compromise with sin. After all, I've done what I needed to do. So Jesus basically confronted this mindset and supernaturally provide a way by which man can gain righteousness, and it is not through being religious by doing all the good deeds and therefore justify your compromise and your sin because you thought, I've helped the poor, I've done good things, so maybe I'm okay. Righteousness could never be gained through the law. If man can be saved and be righteous by what we do, there was absolutely no need for God to send Jesus to die on the cross for us. If it was possible for man to save himself, there was no need for a Savior. You must realize we are totally and absolutely dependent on God to save ourselves. I just showed you my exploits the last three weeks. None of these, nothing will even come close to getting you to the gates of heaven. Everything I've done in the past, everything I do now and will continue to do will never, ever, ever get me in right standing with God. I'm in right standing with God purely on the merits that Jesus died for me and clothed me with His robes of righteousness. I am righteous not because of anything I've done, not because of anything we have done together, but because of what Christ has done for us. He became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus became our righteousness. Unlike before, we go to do religious deeds not really knowing our own place with God. Have I done enough? Am I really right with God because of the things I have done? Today, I tell you, brothers and sisters, we are free to serve the living God. Amen? We're not just going to church because I have to earn merits. We're going to church because we want to worship God. Amen? I am not a slave of sin any longer. We are free to seek 
First is kingdom and his righteousness. We don't have to be in bondage anymore and be slaves to addiction, to, to, to sinful habits. We don't have to be bound by anger. We can forgive. We can love. We can come boldly into the presence of God. Amen? It is an incredible place to be. We can live out our lives founded purely on Christ. That is why, in a short essence, that's what redefined means. Jesus is not just taking this, the letter of the law, but sharing the spirit of the law to us. In this series, we are given the opportunity to get our minds renewed. Jesus' teachings enable us to experience a renewed mindset and a changed lives. I love this expression, kingdom thinking leads to kingdom living. When our minds are renewed, I don't know if you remember our forward teaching about doctrines. Right thinking leads to right living. Wrong thinking leads to wrong living. When our mind is renewed, it results in a changed lifestyle that impacts our relationships with our family, our relationships with people. It results into changed lives. Our, we don't treat Christianity just like a religion, but a relationship with a true and living God. Today, we are going to look at a Christian's influence, assault, and light. Last week was an amazing topic. It's an introduction to the Beatitudes, which in Greek means blessed. But blessings, again, without going into much time, really does not just come without responsibility. We are not blessed, period. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. Lesson last week is a backdrop because we are blessed. We carry with us responsibility. And one of these responsibility is being salt and light in this life. I want us to read our text together. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, I pray that you bless this portion of your truth. Lord, may it be so embedded in each one of our hearts, our role as salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name, everyone say, Amen. Please go ahead and take your seat. Now, what does it mean to be salt of the earth and light of the world? A rather familiar passage of Scripture to us. When Jesus described us as salt of the earth and light of the world, He was implying that the world we live in is decaying, it is in darkness, it is dying, and therefore it needs salt rubbed into it so it will not decay, and it needs light shined upon it so it will not grow in the darkness. So that is the very essence what it means to be salt and light. Salt counteract the power of sin. And we are going to go deeper and look at the significance of salt in a moment. And light also makes everything become visible. So, as Christians, 
Being salt and light is not optional. Jesus did not say you can be salt and light. He did not say you have the potential to be salt and light. He said you are salt and light. And as we will study later on, salt is a stable compound that actually never lost its saltiness. So everyone born again is actually salt and light. Wherever salt and light are present, there will be radical change. As salt and light, it's a call to make an impact, to influence and to make a difference in our world. So this is a good time for us to really reflect. Have I really made a difference in the world I live? Being a Christian, have I really made an impact in my family, among my friends, in my workplaces, in my campus? What is the significance of salt? Again, today, it's reported that there are more than 14,000 known uses of salt from producing chemicals to the icing snow on the road. If you've been to the United States, every time there, there is a f- thick snow, you'd see all these mobiles pouring snow on the road to melt the ice. That's what we know of salt today, but in the ancient world, the value of salt, uh, salt was rare, it was valuable, and it was a highly priced commodity. Roman soldiers received their wages in salt. In fact, the Latin word for salary is salarium, which means salt money. Okay, therefore, we have this expression worth one salt, meaning one is competent and deserves what he earns. Okay, it also represents power. Armies could not travel great distances and explorers could not sail to explore new lands because their food would spoil. Because of salt, salt is powerful. It represents power. They could go on long expeditions because they can preserve their food through salt. The Greeks considered salt to be divine like Hindus consider cow as divine or sacred. The Mosaic law required that all offerings presented by the Israelites contain salt. For example, it said, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. It mentioned the word salt covenant. What is it? In ancient times, two parties ingesting salt in the presence of witnesses makes an agreement legally binding. I don't know if Judge Lisa knows that. (laughs) That is basically how agreements are made. Even today, among Arabs, they would still practice this. So 2 Chronicles 13.5 says, Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Isn't that incredible? Here we see Abijah referring to the strong, legally binding promise of God to give Israel to David and to his sons forever. We see this used similarly in Numbers 18:19. all the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual Jew. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offsprings with you. Because the priest does not have a share of the land, God promised provision by 
legally binding this promise through covenant of salt. So what is the purpose of salt? There are many ways uh, in the ancient times that, uh, uh, that, that uh, salt is used. Okay? Before the advance of science and technology, before refrigerators was invented, the concept of refrigeration was ever conceived, the way they preserved food in those days was to as actually buy salt. They, they, they rubbed they rub the, the salt over the meat or the fish to keep it from spoiling. There is no bacteria or foodborne illness or organisms that is able to live in pure salt. Even in low concentrations of salt, this foodborne organism cannot exist. So as Christians, the application for us, as we were called uh, salt and light, is to slow down the advancement and moral and spiritual decay where we live. In Psalms 14.3, the Bible says, all have turned aside. They have become corrupt. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So in as Christians, we are called to preserve truth and goodness in our fallen world. We are called to become moral, disinfectant, and help slow down decay in the world we live. And as we look onto history, we will see how Christian, by being salt, influences our world. For example, the abolition, because of Christians, it is the Christian advocacy, assault of the world, that Slavery was abolished. I don't know if you've heard of widow burning. In those days, particularly in India, when a husband dies, they have to burn the wife. How would you like wives to be burned when your husband dies? But that was commonly practiced, and the missionaries could not stand it. They said, this is absolutely wrong. They fought it until it was absolutely abolished. And there were many other good things. The gladiator spectacles was fought by a Christian monk. They stopped. Cannibalism was popular in primitive cultures. That was also stopped by Christians. The uh, value and dignity they place on women and, ch and children. Uh, helping the poor, underprivileged through compassion and ministry ministries are all part of the Christian influences. Valuing family and the sanctity of marriage. The value of one man, one woman relationship is so valuable. Of course, there are many others, even so-called Christians, that violates that. But that is highly uh, valued, value of human life. By fourth century, hospitals, schools were established by Christians. Laws, economics, politics, arts, music, literature, the press. In fact, the first thing that was ever printed when the printing press was invented was the Holy Bible and the sciences and technology, among other things. What happens because of this Christian witness has turned for an opportunity for the gospel to be preached, and people to respond and become Christians. Second, it enhances flavor. Assault is to food Christians are to be in life. I hope your presence in your home, in your offices, makes life beautiful. Because we are flavor enhances. Assault, we can enrich the goodness of life by making God's work stand out. Where there is strife, we can become peacemakers. When there is sorrow, we can show comfort. 
Where there is hatred, we can exemplify love and forgiveness. Where there is fear, we can impart faith. When there is sickness, we can become conduits to bring healing. Amen? So we are salt of the earth. Luke 6.35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. If we live as salt, we highlight the difference that Jesus makes in one's life. Otherwise, if we do not make any distinction at all, we have lost. That's what the Bible meant when it says we have lost our saltiness. Third, it cleanses from disease. Salt has antiseptic and germ-killing properties. It can be used as a medicine. It kills bacteria, but it also stings. It also stings. So oftentimes, assault, we may come across offensive to others. Maybe our action convicts people. Remember what the Bible says? They hate the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. They are not comfortable when you don't drink like them or when they do, you do not live in immorality like everyone else. So where's the balance? You know, we don't want to intentionally appear like Pharisees and holier than thou. We don't want to do that. We want to love sinners. We want to reach them out with the love of Jesus. So we need to strike a balance between coming across offensive or watering down the truth. So here's the balance found in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, no matter how we come across, we need to be firm with God's truth, but we always do it with grace and with respect to people. Amen? That's why they say even with your parents when you're being persecuted, you know how you know, you can, you can uh, go away and say, I'm trying not to change my life, but you're doing this. Then, you, boom, you close the door. No, be gracious. You can respectfully respond. You don't have to be in rebellion. You have to be patient. Amen? Even when we're on the right, we still have to, we have to let our speech always be seasoned with grace. That is what the Bible says when it says, speak the truth in love. It also creates thirst. I hope your presence as Christians in this world provoke something inside of them to want to know God more because they see so much of the life of God inside of you. You were you once uh, just full of discouragement, depressed. Now you are happy. You're fulfilled in this life. Every time you become salt, you create a thirst and a hunger for people, for God. The truth is we live in a world that's spiritually dehydrated. So as salt, we point the way to the drinking fountain of the living water. John 4, 13 said, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty. Wow, we have in us, we have a relationship with the one who can fulfill the thirst and the longing in everyone's soul. The water Jesus said that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And it also represents purity. Some think that it's white, whiteness represents purity of a justified believer. I hope when people see us, they will distinguish us to be different. Something about us is different that would provoke something inside of them of wanting to have what we experience. What happens now if we fail to be salt? Brothers and sisters, it's a privilege to be salt. But Jesus gave us a warning. 
very clearly in Matthew 5.13, if salt loses its taste, how would its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. I mentioned earlier that salt, which is sodium chloride, is a stable compound and can't lose its saltiness. Do you know that? But you know, I don't want to get into that argument, that scientific argument, because Jesus said, if it loses its saltiness. <laughs> okay? But if you be strictly speaking, it's a very stable compound. It cannot lose its saltiness. But salt can lose its taste through mixture and contamination. Okay? When salt is contaminated, it becomes corrosive and poisonous and therefore cannot be used and thrown out where people can trample it under their feet. I, w- I came across this just because I was asking the question, can salt be corrupted? Can I use different kinds of... And then I came across this in, in, in the website saying that most stable salt is probably full of plastic. There are three sources. There's sea salt, lake salt, and then there are uh, salt in... Uh, Blocks of salt insert deposits in caves and many other places. And they said the biggest one, they are what they call organic pollutants. And the highest of them would be coming from China. And that would be the pollution because of the sea. That when they would make, there is already a contaminant that goes with it. So it doesn't change the substance, but it can be contaminated. So you are salt and light whether you like it or not, but sin can contaminate our lives and therefore rendering us ineffective. Now before I show you, there are two cross-references in the gospel to Matthew 5 verse 13. In Mark Mark chapter 9, verse 42 to 50, it also said the same thing concerning the salt. But in verse 50, this is what it said, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with one another. So if you look at its context, it begins with talking about causing anyone to stumble. So if we cause one to stumble, if we deliberately commit sin through our body, remember the analogy? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So all of that. And if we are not at peace with others, then we have lost our taste. Living at peace, not offering our bodies, as instruments of sin, being godly examples and inspiring to young Christians is worth our salt, living our lives as salt. Another cross-reference is found in Luke 14, 25 to 35. If you have an NIV Bible, the title says, The Cause of Being a Disciple. So there it says in verse 33 and 34, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, he has cannot be my disciple. Then it's followed by this verse, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So context is basically about obedient discipleship to Jesus Christ. The loss of saltiness occurs in the failure of Christians to daily pick up their cross and follow Christ wholeheartedly. So if we're not living under the Lordship of Christ, we lose our taste. We lose our taste. I've often said this, the kind of Christianity that will make an impact in this world are Christians who pick up their cross daily. Satan is not threatened by Christians 
who do not pick up their cross because they have no salt. And therefore, they do not make a difference or an impact in this life. So, we must learn to fight. You, God has made you salt. Okay? Don't lose. You never lose your value. I think there's something valuable here. You never lose your value as a salt. So if ever you feel like you have contaminated yourselves because of sin and compromise, we have the blood of Jesus that can cleanse us and restores us back to our original calling. So you know, some of us are feeling, wow, I don't know if I could ever live up to be salt and light. I've committed so many sins. I've lived in compromise. I'll tell you, it does not lose your value. No amount of sin and compromise you ever do makes you any less to God. Remember the study we made about Peter? What could be worse than denying Jesus three times? And yet the next thing Jesus wanted to do was to have breakfast with him the next day? Because it's no big deal. God is more concerned about your future than it is your past. He wants to cleanse you because you have great destiny in Him. Amen? He is committed to you. And your value is never dependent on the sins you committed. Your value is dependent on His calling on your lives. Satan is a thief and wants to strip you, to degrade you, to steal your destiny from you. Don't allow him. Amen? But rather live your lives to be real salt and light in this world. Let's go to the light. It's like there's two sermons. I just finished my introduction. We are light. Again, this is very important. We are light not because of ourselves, but because of the supernatural union we have with the true light of this world, who is Jesus Christ. Like the moon, the moon doesn't have its own light. Do you know that? It only reflects the light of the sun. But when you look at it at night, especially on a full moon, it brightens the whole earth. So like the moon as believers, we are to reflect the light that Christ, of Christ in our lives that all may see. We're not supposed to hide it. We are supposed to show it. Now, if you, now some of us are afraid by demonstrating our lives, you know, we might be the ones honored and glorified. Okay? If your motive is right, they will see Christ in you and Jesus is glorified in your lives. We don't do good so that we look good, so that Christ looks good, so that Christ becomes honored and glorified in our lives. John 18, 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine if you have a relationship with Jesus? He said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. We were once darkness, the Bible says, but we are light in the Lord. The Bible says, walk as children of light. The light spoken of here is the light of His truth and the light of His word. So let's go now to the purpose of light, okay? This is really very profound. It counteracts darkness, okay? Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine before others. Light is the cleansing effect of the truth upon the darkness of sin. Light destroys darkness wherever it goes. So the presence of Christians is basically light in the darkness so that the truth of God's word brings light to darkened hearts of sinful men. I hope that by being around people, a light bulb will turn on. Because they were so used to dark, they've never seen the truth. I hope that the light of God in us will be able to shed light 
so that darkness can be exposed. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Greek word for light there is, means a beacon that is emitting from the lighthouse. It is bright and it is unmistakable in its purpose. Beacon warns of danger. It directs to safe harbor. And if you are hopeless because you're lost in the sea, it offers hope to the hopeless. So Acts 26, 18, part of our calling as believers is we have been commissioned to go to open people's eyes so that we may turn them from what? From darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of God sins. Again, in Matthew 5, it continues on to say, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. It doesn't make sense that you are a Christian, you are the light, and yet you are ashamed or embarrassed to let your light shine. The Bible says, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, your good deeds, and bring glory to God the Father. So the emphasis here is maintaining a credible and obvious witness in the world. The gospel light we have is not meant to be covered, but to be made obvious so all can see and benefit from that they too will leave darkness and come into the light. Second, light is visible. The Christian life is to be lived publicly out in the open. We cannot be secret agent Christians. Okay? The presence of light in darkness is something which is unmistakable and that our good deeds must be evident for all to see. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is gone, is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cut off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. When you put on the armor of light, it becomes visible for everyone to see. It is your covering. It is your sense of identity. Number three, light reveals what's in the darkness. Darkness covers things, but light shows the flaws. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Do not be surprised when people persecute you or say all manners of evil against you because that's what people in the world does. Verse 21, But whoever does what is true comes to the light. Psalms 18.28, For it is you who's li- who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, it basically changes darkness into light. For light shows the way out of darkness. We are to lead men and women out of darkness into light, away from sin and into the truth. John eleven nine. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. There is no reason for a Christian to stumble. We have come out of darkness. Amen? We do not stumble anymore because we walk in the light. And finally, of course, for the glory of God. And the Bible says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Our goal is never to bring recognition or honor to ourselves, but to bring glory of Christ. How can Christians hide their lights by not witnessing? 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have to introduce people to the true source of light, the true light of the world. That is Jesus. First Peter said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may what? Proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to testify to people we've come out. We've been delivered. We've been set free from a life of bondage and darkness. First John 1 John 1.5, this is the message we've heard from him. And proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. Secondly, by going with the flow, we lose our light if we compromise in this world's ways and standards. If we want to make a difference in the world, we should have to be different from the world. Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Third, by denying the light or Letting sin dim our light. First John 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First Thessalonians 5.5, 5, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Another way we lose our light is by grumbling and complaining. I think we looked at this verse earlier. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, you may be Christians, but if you always complain all the time, well, you lose your light. Amen? What kind of a Christian is this? Do not allow dissension, compromise, and sin snuff out the light in you. Instead, we have to pursue moral purity and patience and peacefulness filled with good works that we will shine brightly in this dark and depraved world. Finally, through unforgiveness. If we are not rightly related with our brothers and sisters, this is a very convicting scripture. Whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It is absolutely inconsistent to be a Christian and harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. In other words, the power of God's light has never impacted inside our hearts. You know, in forests, the reason because of foliage and thick, coverings of branches, you know, you, what you have are, are all kinds of wet stuff, moths and, and you know, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, green, what, slimy stuff. I mean, it's not fresh. It's not full of life. That is what a Christian is a picture of a Christian when we do not let the light of Christ really shine deep into our very hearts. There's still a lot of unforgiveness a lot of issues in our own hearts. How can we lose our light two ways when the oil is gone and when power is gone? This is why we need to always draw our oil, our power. In modern version, if you turn off the light, no power, light is gone. As we close, this is just the last point here as we close. The world desperately needs you to fulfill your role as salt and light in this world. Just begin with your own family. Think about your own brothers and sisters and friends, office workers, the impact that you can make in their lives, whether we're slowing down the moral decay, enhancing the spiritual flavor of the world, or shining bright in this dark world, God has created us to be positive impact and godly influence in our world.
Do not ever be afraid to be different. Your distinctiveness, assault and light, is what will save a lot of people. It's what will provoke thirst and hunger and healing and many other things for them to be point, to know who the light that you have is. Don't ever be afraid to be different. Be responsible to keep your salt always to the edge. Lift up your lamp so others will see what God has done in your lives. Like what Matthew 5, 16, we close with this. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shall we bow our heads and close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you once again. Lord, despite the familiarity of this passage, yet we can never really exhaust even the full revelation and implications of this, except to say that this is what you've called us to be. Lord, we're not just, you've not only given us responsibility, but you've given us an identity, a sense of value and worth. We can never lose our saltiness because that is what you made us to be. So Lord, give us grace to not allow mixture and contamination to corrupt our role and serve as can do its a blessing so people can come to know Christ through our lives. So Father God, even today as our head are bowed and our eyes close, if for any reason many of us feel a sense of condemnation, Lord, because of compromise and sin and we have not really stood out to be a salt and light and harbor even bitterness in our soul towards other people. Lord, I pray for your grace today, your precious blood to cleanse us, to remove all the contaminants in our lives and restore us back to what you originally called us to be, salt and light, a beacon of hope. Lord God, an inspiration so can come to know Christ the way we have come to know you. And Lord God, I pray right now that you would just bring a cleansing. Lord, forgive us of all our compromise and our sins. Remove all the pollutants in our lives. Reverse the effect of decay and bring life and bring preservatives that we may be a flavor and a preservative to the world we live, to be a blessing to our world. Lord God, I just pray you take away every spirit of condemnation and I release your grace and your power to restore every single one of us to be true salt and light in this world for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and all God's people say, Amen. Thanks be to God.